starts with that decision to follow Jesus. That moment the Spirit of God seals us, cleanses us of our sin and our unrighteousness. And following that is a process. Uh, in case there's uh, visitors or others here, just I always repeat this stuff at the start of the service. But, but we talked about that. Then we talked about the five things I can do to grow in Christ over the next year. What are five things that I can do so that next January I'm further along with Christ than I was in this January? And I asked everybody, how many of you want to be further along in Christ next January? And hands went up all over the place. So we talked in week one, we talked about number one and number two, which is connect by attaching yourself to the church and coming to service every week. Amen? As much as you can. Make it a purpose to be here connected to the service. And uh, we're going to give you biblical teaching. We're going to give you Christ. We're going to encourage you in your spirit. We're going to challenge you. Amen? Going to have some challenging sermons this year too. And going to confront some things, but also encourage and build us up. And, and, and secondly, you need to be a part of a small group, a disciple, discipleship group of some kind, whether it be Sunday school, uh, some of these other gatherings. <coughs> and make sure that you are connecting with other believers so that you can be challenged and discipled in your faith. Thirdly, we talked about making sure that we are doing prayer and devotions four times a week, at least four times a week. And I know people say, Pastor, we should be doing that every day. I agree. And uh, we should be doing that every day. But bless God, some people don't do it. So four days is a struggle. And we need to shoot for four. Amen? Every other day would be good. Get in the Word. Pray. And I've seen many of you do that. I've been contacted by several. How many of you have ramped up your prayer and devotional life this year so far? Several have. That's awesome. That's great. It's going to transform your life. It will change you. As I said before, like the little bird going eating the worm and bring it to the little baby birds. The little baby birds don't know that the worm tasted better the first time around. Make sure you're finding the Word of God yourself. Fourthly, we talked about last week attaching yourself to at least one outreach this year. We named off like six different outreaches that we do. It's important for us to follow the discipleship plan of Jesus where he said, where he didn't say it, but we see the pattern in the scripture. He took the disciples places they wouldn't normally go to interact with people they wouldn't normally interact with so they could see the heart of the Father and they would in turn do the same things Jesus was doing once he was gone. Amen? So it's important to make sure that we are getting out of our comfort zone. Amen? Some of you are saying, I I wasn't here for that message. Go listen to it. You'll hear me share one really uncomfortable, uncomfort zone, discomfort story in that message. That It wasn't in my notes, but I shared it anyway. Lastly, this morning, closing up this series today, is we're going to do the fifth thing we're going to talk about today is finding a place of service. Finding a place of service. Now, this, this interlocks with what we talked about last week. Outreach is vitally important. Outreach is going and doing the ministry. Amen? But serving in the church, there are lots of roles. Service is of greater sacrifice. Service is going to cause us to be responsible. How many of us know that responsibility will grow the kids up? Yes. It's good for us. Some of us don't work in the church. Because we just don't want the responsibility. Some of us will work very hard and and overwork ourselves in the church. And we overwork ourselves because we don't like to give stuff up. So today we're going to talk about some of these things. And some people will say, Pastor, do you know that 20% of the church does 80% of the work? And I hear that. That's a constant thing. People will say that all the time about all churches. I want to caution you with that because our church is probably closer to 50% doing the work because we had a great crowd. Uh, I believe it was last Sunday. Was it last Sunday? It seemed like two and a half months ago. We got together for our leadership banquet, leadership appreciation banquet. Several of you weren't even able to be there and we had a packed house. I think we had 72, 73 people there. Had a good time and uh, 
ate some good food. Amen? How many of us like that? we got a lot of great workers in this church. But I want to challenge you that if you want to grow in your faith, something that's vitally important is plugging into a ministry and becoming responsible and becoming... not dependent upon, but, but making sure that you're being responsible in that ministry. Something to dream about, something to have vision about, something to pour your giftings into, something to, to, to inspire other people and to be involved, involved with is vitally, vitally important to your spiritual development. There's a lot of examples of people in the Word of God who have done great things. And just for, the, for this topic, I think I'm going to focus on, on one man of God, one certain man of God, that we look back, he was a hard worker. He did great things. Everybody would look at him and they credit him to a lot of stuff. Man carried an awful burden. He's one of those people that when you look back, you look at him and say, man, I don't think I could have done what he did. I don't think I would have wanted to raise my hand for his job. And you look, you look at him and you say, wow, but man, he's been remembered for thousands of years for his hard work, his dedication and what he did. And there's so many things accredited to him for the great things that he had done. I don't know, but listen, folks, if you're going to do great things for God, there's always going to come a price for it. There's always a price. That's why I always challenge people. Don't envy somebody else's anointing. You don't know what they went through to get that. Amen. There's a struggle. There's a struggle people have to go through to get where they're at. This person I'm talking about this morning is Moses. Moses was a great man of God. Moses was raised in Pharaoh's house. We know the story in the account. He realized and recognized uh, his people who he had come from. He chose to suffer with them, the word says, rather than uh, rejoicing or experiencing sin for the season. He chose to suffer with his people. We know that he ran away. We know that he was on the backside of the desert when the Lord spoke to him and called him out and said, Moses, I have a job for you. Boy, do I have a job for you. I want you to go back to the place where you're seen as a murderer, where where you're seen as a deserter. I want you to go back there, and I want you to tell them to take all their slave labor and let all the slave labor go. I can imagine Moses saying, what? (laughs) Go tell the Pharaoh to let my people go. Now we know, we know Moses had his issues and we know Moses looked at God and said, I can't do that. Starts asking questions. What if they do this? What if they ask this? Who do I tell them sent me? Tell them I am that I am sent you. Tell them the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All this stuff. Well, what about, what if they don't believe me? Put, take that staff, throw it on the ground, put your hand and listen. And he starts telling them all these things to do. Moses was accredited with a lot of great things. He was accredited with leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. He was accredited with being the one who led them across the wilderness to the promised land, the edge of the promised land, twice. He was accredited as the one who spoke with God as a man speaks with another man face to face and comes down with the Ten Commandments twice. This man Moses is is so much accredited to as the one who established law that they call it the Mosaic Law. This man Moses was was accredited as leading these people spiritually. This man Moses was was accredited to the, the, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, which there's argument about Genesis, whatever. They've accredited it to him as having written Scripture. Moses had a pretty heavy burden. We know the people were struggling. We know the people would, would turn against him that quick. 
you know, the first time they were uncomfortable, want to go back and eat garlic and onions. We know that, right? I like garlic, but I can only eat onions if it's cooked. I can only eat garlic, garlic if it's cooked too, though. So that's the thought for the day. Make sure you cook your onions and your garlic together. Let's pray. But let's think about it for a minute. When we accredit to Moses as the one that led the children of Israel out, he was the one that was sent to speak to Pharaoh, correct? But here's the problem. Moses didn't speak to Pharaoh. Scripture says he spoke to Pharaoh. The movie, The Ten Commandments, only shows Moses speaking to Pharaoh. Charlton Aston was the only one that spoke to Pharaoh. But when... But when 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 Charlton Heston spoke to God, he said this anyway. So Moses, when he spoke to God at the burning bush, he says, I can't go to Pharaoh. I've got stammering lips. I stutter. I can't, I'm not a public speaker. I can't do that. And so God said, You know, I'm the God that created you. He was going to heal Moses' lips, but Moses chose a different path. I'm going to bring you Aaron. And Aaron's going to speak for you. How it's amazing to me. That then, as you read through the account in Exodus, it's always Moses said. There's a time or two where it says Aaron's with him, but, but listen, Aaron was speaking for him. Do you know that the scripture shows that Moses was the one that led the children of Israel across the wilderness? Yes, I understand the, the Spirit of God was there and a pillar by fire at night and a cloud by day, yes. But do you know what? He wasn't alone. He also had a young leader, leader that he was raising up next to him by the name of Joshua. This one who was by Moses' side, this one who was halfway up on the mountain, this one who would go and stay in the tent of meeting when they would be meeting with the Lord together in prayer and the Lord would speak to Moses, Moses would go out and speak to the people, Joshua would stay in and keep praying. Moses led the people, yes, but he wasn't by himself. He didn't just do this on his own. You know that, don't you love it that the Beverly Hillbillies are in the Bible? Jethro's in the Bible. It doesn't say his last name. I'm not sure if it's Bodine or not, but it's Jethro. Or is that his middle name? I don't know. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, shows up. And he sees Moses carrying the weight by himself all day from morning to evening. Scripture makes clear that he's standing there and he's judging the people. And all the people are gathered around watching him. And Jethro comes up to him and says, what you are doing is not good, son. Man, that ain't good at all. You all going to have to do something different. (laughs) He was a Midianite, so I doubt if he talked like that. But it's kind of fun to make pictures in my head. You know what I'm saying? You're reading the word, it's like, (laughs) son, takes the straw out of his mouth. What you're doing ain't good. That's what Scripture says. Some of you will never forget that now. When you read that, from now on it's going to be Jethro. Hey, son. It's not good. He said, you've got to to orchestrate some structure here and and break it down in tens and hundreds. You need to get people that you can pour into and, and make them leaders over them so that they can judge the people. You're going to wear yourself out. See, Moses judged, Moses led, but he didn't do it by himself. See, we're starting to gather the picture here, aren't we? Starting to get it. Moses wrote scripture. 
Well, obviously, Moses probably didn't sit down and pin everything while he's judging the people, and while he's listening to God, and he's in the tent of meeting, and he's training Joshua, and he's doing all this stuff. Do we seriously think in the meantime, Moses must have slept like 30 seconds a day? And he recorded scripture and wrote down the law that God had spoken to him. Everything. No, probably not. Probably Moses had a scribe to write down what he said the Lord said to him. It's probable. We don't know for sure, but it's most likely. Moses was raised up in the Pharaoh's house. They had scribes. The Egyptians were good at recording things. He understood structure. He understood how things had to work. I promise you had scribes. And people say, well, the children of Israel were all slaves and illiterate. That's not true. If it was the case, then, then how was it that after Moses was gone and Joshua goes into the promised land, they destroy Jericho, they overcome Ai, and they set up, Joshua sets up an altar before the Lord and requests and requires that the law of Moses be inscribed upon it. People could write... It probably wasn't Moses doing all the writing. Was Moses involved? Yes, most definitely. Moses, we accredit Moses with building the tabernacle. But if you look in the book of Exodus, you see that Moses didn't build the tabernacle. He gave the dimensions that the Lord gave to him to people. And the scripture makes clear that there was a man full of the Holy Spirit that God had put his spirit upon so that he would be the craftsman to build the things that Moses told him about. His name was Beliel. Beliel, Baliel, something like that. And Oliah, these individuals were to lead those who were going to be craftsmen, who were going to weave into the cloths the, the cherubim, who were going to put together the Ark of the Covenant, the table of showbread, the table of incense. They're going to put together the, uh, uh, the lamp that was in the holy place. They were going to do all of these things and, and make them out of wood and overlay them with gold. These men made the most valuable things on this planet. If they were found today, there would be no value for them because they are invaluable. Here's the key. God said, I've put my spirit on them to do the work. Go tell them to do it. Moses, go and release them to do it. I couldn't imagine being these people... And sitting around with their family, once, once these items that were so precious, they were, they were most of the time behind walls and doors, unless they were moving, obviously. But the, the Ark of the Covenant was hidden inside of the Holy of Holies and all of these other items inside the holy place. And now I could imagine those children sitting around the table and saying, Dad, can you describe what it looks like? And, and, and we've got craftsmen in this room. You can tell stories. You can tell intricate details of what it was like to get, to get those angels' wings pointed exact on forward at the top of, of, of the mercy seat of the ark. As they begin to tell this, I can only imagine. But tell me this, what robbery it would have been if Moses would have stepped in and not obeyed God and instead would have taken it upon himself to do stuff he shouldn't have been doing. But what a blessing it was to those to be involved in the work of God. I'm just a craftsman, Lord. You look all through the scripture, you're going to find people with trades, people with jobs, people with abilities where the Lord says, I want you to come follow me now. I want to make you fishers of men. I said all that to say this. There is no lone wolf mentality in the body of Christ. And serving will transform our lives. It'll change us. I'll never forget being in the, in the mid-90s. I was approached by Pastor Stevens. 
He says, we need, a, we need a real ranger leader. And I said, okay. And I'd already told April, how long do you think it's going to be before he asks me to do this? Because I already in my spirit knew I needed to. And I took over, and folks, let me just tell you this. I, I wasn't prepared to be in leadership. Wasn't, I wasn't prepared to be in leadership whatsoever. But I can tell you this, that God took me on a journey but when I sat down and I looked, we started out with four little boys in that room. And I looked around all of them and I didn't kill them the first week. <laughs> Commander Bob, can we go outside? No. Can we go outside? No. Can we go outside? No. Can we go outside? You'll never see daylight again. <laughs> I will kill you. Let's just open our Bibles and talk about blood sacrifice, shall we? <laughs> They cut the animal in two, separated and stepped through. That's what I'm going to do to you if you don't stop asking about going outside. Thank you. So I began to learn and grow as I taught. So past of scripture, I don't even, I don't, I'm so far off my notes already, I don't even know which one it is. But it says this, you who teach others, do you not teach yourself? And I can tell you that I grew because... I was able, I was given an opportunity to have vision. I was given an opportunity to desire to do something for God. I began to dream. I began to pray about. I began to hope for. I began to look for, for visuals and, and studies and, and began to go in and do five, ten minute devotions. Yes, sometimes we did incorporate our knot tying with the devotion about sin and we tied a kid to the pole. Get past it. Kid deserved to be tied up. To this day, he's like, hey, Pastor Bob, remember the time you tied me to the pole? He's like, I should have left you there. <laughs> I learned and I grew and I realized because I looked around that room and I saw all these little guys looking up at me, suddenly I had to take accountability and responsibility for my life. And I had to begin to start doing some things differently. And I had to do some gut checks. And I had to start thinking about, they're looking at me and they're modeling after me. What are they seeing? What are they going to do? And as that group grew from 4 to 26, the Lord began to prepare me for, for youth ministry. Let me say this. I didn't do Rangers alone. I had four men helping me. I had people that were able to help. Listen, there is no lone wolf mentality in the body of Christ. Everybody has got a purpose. Everybody has got a gift. Everybody has got something to offer, something to give. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read about 17 verses, so bear with me. This is the only reading I'm going to do this morning, so just bear with me. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 12. The body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Wouldn't that be funny looking? Hey, it's an eye. <laughs> I am doing good. How are you? I am fine. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. 
Sometimes it just, if the front should say, because I am not, and I'm sorry, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot be the hand. Say, say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are un- unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there would be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? And obviously the answer to those questions are no. But eagerly desire the greater gift, and now I will show you the most excellent way. Where it goes into chapter 13, where he talks about how love has got to be the fuel behind any gift that we use. Our active service must be fueled by the love of God. Amen? We are a church of love. That's who we are. You go out there and you see our pictures on the wall. Those are our core values. That's who we are. We are a church that is based on love. We love people. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've come from. I don't care what you have done in your life. I will embrace you. I will not be stupid. If you're a thief, I'm not going to put you in charge of the offering. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Amen. But I'm not, I, I will find somewhere else for you. And I will love you. And I will help. Listen, folks, it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. You deserve the love of God because Jesus Christ died on the cross for all sinners. Amen. Of which I agree with Paul. I was one of the worst. Am one of the worst. And so we have to know and understand that, that there's a love for Christ in this body. There is a heartbeat from our Father here, and it's a heart of love. Attachment is a good thing. You are the body of Christ. You are a part of it. You are a part of it. And do you know the attachment is a very good thing? It is good to belong somewhere. Amen? We all need to feel like we belong somewhere. I hope you feel like you belong here. I had a friend, I don't, some of you know Pastor Phil Curtis. He pastors in Franklin, but he's from our church originally. Uh, good old Pastor Phil. He sends me stuff all the time, books, uh, CDs. And he sent me one one time that uh, had a, was talking about a, a sermon series about a divine attachment. And uh, there was some really good stuff in there. But one of the main things was, as the guy said, look, you got people that are going to attach themselves to your church for a little bit, come and go. But then there are other people who have a divine attachment. This is a God-appointed time. I'm going to grow you there. And as long as you leave, you're going to be in disobedience. You're going to struggle, all these things, which was kind of interesting. I enjoyed it. But listen, I hope we have some people that have a divine God attachment in this church. I hope you're connected. I hope you're growing. I hope this is home. You know if you have a divine attachment when you can't find anywhere else to go. When you've looked... When you've tried, if you've tried, don't tell me. That hurts my feelings. <laughs> Both of them. Because i got a lot of feelings. i got two. 
I'm easily offended. (laughs) But you're still here because you can't find anywhere else to go. It's a divine attachment. It's good to belong. Do you know it's it's important to know that that, uh, you sit by people sometimes that others have rejected and thrown away. You want to know something cool about the body of Christ? We're, we're all organ transplants here. I can see I'm not going to have enough time to get done today. Miranda took too long with worship. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, I've known people that have had organ transplants before. Anybody else know that? What happens is, is, is you, you get an organ put in your body, and it's, it's the right organ. You know, it fits. They've got all the factors that match blood types and all the genetic things that they have to go through to make sure that the heart's going to work. And they put it in. But even in the best match, they still have to take medication to make sure the body doesn't reject it. Right? So they have to take that medication the rest of their life or else the body will look at it and say, you're an outsider, you're not supposed to be here. But yet the body can't stay alive without it. And that organ can't stay alive without the body. So there has to be the medication, there has to be that in-between, there has to be that thing that would calm it and bring it together. For us in the church, we're just a bunch of transplants. And sometimes, uh, listen, raise your hand if a church person's ever rubbed you the wrong way or offended you. Sometimes you want to reject some people. I reject you in the name of Jesus. Get out! What you're doing is not good. (laughs) But the Holy Spirit does a work inside of us and keeps us together. Listen, this thing should never work. In the natural, there shouldn't be love, there shouldn't be unity, there shouldn't be anything. But we're a part of a body. We're a part of a body that's full of the Holy Spirit. A regular body is full of the soul, amen? You and I, the Holy Spirit, we come in here, we have worship together, the Holy Spirit's moving in through us. That's, that's the working of God. We are a part of the body. And do you know that cares and needs are met when you're a part of the body? That's a wonderful thing to be attached. But listen, attachment to a church service alone isn't going to complete your development, growth, and discipleship as a believer. You must begin to be active in what God is doing. Secondly, Paul addresses that individuality is not only okay, it's necessary. Just as the body has many specialized parts, it's okay for the church to have many people who are individuals and have different specialized giftings. Not everyone can be approached to be a pastor, a missionary, a teacher. There are some in this room, but there's others they're not going to be. That's not their gifting. That's not what they're gifted to do. They're gifted for, gifted for greater things than what these other individuals can do. We need diversity in the church. We've got to have diversity in the church. We need visionaries, we need detail-oriented people, we need the optimist, and, bless God, we even need the pessimist. Some of you say, why do we need pessimists around? I don't, pessimists. I don't like pessimists. Because they keep the optimists under control. <laughs> I need some pessimists in my life. And I got some, don't volunteer, it's Okay. <laughs> They'll make the optimist stop and think, well, I'm sure this is going to be great. It's going to be the greatest. How are you going to pay for it? Well, it'll come in. Well, how's it going to come in? Where's it going to come in at? Huh? Just going to grow in trees? Pastor, is going to grow in trees? I reject you. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit fixes that. Amen? We've got to have everybody involved. 
Thirdly, Paul talks about the value of that individuality. Some will need greater care and concern than others. Some will be shown honor. Some will be treated with modesty according to their needs. Do you know that some people in the church, no matter what you do, they're always going to need more care than others? It's okay. It's good for us. It's good for us to have people in the church that have more needs than others. It's okay to, to, to have to look after. It's okay. We need that. Some churches don't want people that are needy in their church at all. They say, I reject you. But needy people need people who are going to bless needy people by showing them their needs that need to be met by meeting needs. I shared, I shared in the first service, you want to hear a weird vision? You want to hear a weird vision that I have? I have a, I have a strange vision that some people say, Pastor, what? What is your greatest desire for the church of Covington First Assembly? Some of you right now in your minds are saying, he wants to build a Christian theme park. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no. I wish, I wish that God would drop a couple million dollars in my lap, not just for money. Some of you right now, oh, great, we have a... No, that's not what I'm talking about. Because my desire is, I would love to build a little complex of, of houses, apartments, that, that are kind of together facing each other for our widows. So that our widows would have a place to go and they wouldn't worry about their bills all the time. They wouldn't have to worry about stuff. They would have a place that they could live rent-free, maybe pay a little bit of utilities or whatever, and we would have a system of people that would check on them, take care of them, make sure their needs were met, run errands for them, pick up their medicine, go get their groceries, that kind of stuff. Do you know that that's the greatest thing that I have in my heart for our community? But some people look at that and they say, oh, a bunch of stinking widows in my church. <laughs> look at Barb right now. She's going. <laughs> it's okay, Barb. We love you. <laughs> Why? I, the reason I think that God put that in my heart is, is because the body cares for itself. And <laughs> Lord, that's a really weird example. When, when you get to it, <laughs> was that me or you, Lord? Clipping toenails. You don't, you don't, young people don't understand what a blessing it is to have your toenails clipped and taken care of until you can't reach your feet anymore. Vanda, is that the truth? You worked around nursing homes. That's the truth, isn't it? Any, any ladies or anybody that's worked in nursing or health care, that's the truth. Do you know what? That's not a pretty job. I've seen feet. It's not good. It's bad. But, bless, but, but the body wants to take care of itself, doesn't it? And I didn't just compare all of our precious widows to toenails, okay? But what I am saying is, is that needs need to be met. And when you're not meeting a need, there's a desire in your heart to meet it. And I believe that there's many needs here in our church. I believe there's a lot of things that aren't getting done because of various reasons that we'll get through. Good grief, I have so many stinking notes. I've already said that basically, so 
One of the problems I have with the church, listen, purpose is important. I shared what I did about Rangers. Um, Paul talks about purpose in that passage. He says, not all are this, not all are this, not all are that. We understand that. But listen, there is something, okay? You have something to give. You have something to offer. And I'm not preaching this because Pastor Bob needs you to do something so that I can look good. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about your development. I'm talking about your spiritual maturity. I'm talking about your responsibility and growing in grace. There's a work that can be done. And I don't care what age you are, there's something that can be done. For some, it may not be an every Sunday thing. It may be, you know, so many times a year. Or it may be, excuse me, it may be a prayer ministry. Or it may be a visitation ministry. You might write cards to people. You might be an encourager. Whatever it is, there are all kinds of things that can be done. But I promise you that when you plug yourself into what God's plan is for you, then you will succeed and you will feel fulfilled. There are two accounts in the book of Acts. One, quickly, um, where the disciples in Acts chapter 1 are standing around. They, they go up and they're praying. They're seeking the Lord. And Peter stands up and he goes through this process of explaining. We all know what happened with Judas. We know that Judas betrayed the Lord. We know that he ended up killing himself. We, we know what happened. There was an empty spot. Twelve went to eleven. And Peter stands up and he says, this is not right. We should have twelve. That was the spiritual number the Lord established, basically, that we have to have that number fulfilled. And so they chose two people and they cast a lot. And Matthias fulfilled that role. Matthias, it says, the requirement was this, that they needed to have been with them the entire time. Worthy men who had been a part of this ministry from the beginning. Now stop and think with me, if you will. I'm sure Matthias was a worker, okay? He was a worker. It was vitally important for him to work. I'm sure he was there. He was there from the beginning. He was watching, but he was there serving before he had the title. He was serving before he had the title. But the, the, the lot fell to him, and he became one of the twelve with them. Do you know, he was prepared for that position because he was already strengthened and work, working and, 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 and strengthened by the Lord as he was with them the whole time so that when the opening came, he stepped right in and filled it. Do you know what happens to a muscle when it's not worked? Have you ever seen someone that maybe has been paralyzed in their legs or somebody that's been bedridden a long time? What happens to those muscles? It doesn't take very long. Those muscles disappear. They really do. And folks, spiritually the same way, you don't want to just attach yourself to the church and do nothing because it's not going to strengthen you and grow you at all. Yeah, there may be some life and there may be some strength there, but very little. God wants you to be attached and usable. The second thing that happened in the book of Acts was that, that uh, the apostles said, look, he said the, the number of the disciples grew, I believe it's in Acts 6, the numbers of the disciples grew in those days, and then it says there, there were needs that weren't getting met. And so the apostles said, we shouldn't leave the word of God to go wait on tables. And so they put together a plan. They said, we needed structure change and we need deacons. So they chose men who were full of the Holy Spirit. They were worthy. They were workers. They were available and able to serve. And so what these men did is they stepped back and they gave that work to them and they did what they were supposed to do in their giftings. In our culture today, you're going to find three things in the church as it pertains to workers. You ready? You're going to find those who are working absolutely fulfilled in their ministry, love it, have a passion for it, dream dreams about it, have vision for it, 
and want to see God grow it. Then you have those who are overworked in the church. They have taken on too much. They love the Lord. They do things out of obligation because if I don't do it, nobody's going to do it. So they work really hard at it, but they lost their joy in it a long time ago. And occasionally the Lord will give them a little joy, a little peak of joy here or there. And they do it and do it and do it, but they work themselves to death. And they, all they see is more stuff that could be done that others aren't doing. And they feel like they need to pick up the slack. The third one is, well, there's actually four. The, the third one is people who want to work. The mafias of the church or the, the deacons of the church, they step back and they say, wow, the potential of what I could do would be great, but there's just not an opportunity. See, what happens is, is that just like that in Acts chapter 6, there's work to be done, but nobody knows when to jump in and do it until somebody finally stops and says, okay, here it is. There's a lot of great people in the church that want to do things. And some of you right now are afraid and scared. I don't know where to jump in. Does anybody even want me? Am I worthy? Am I able? Listen, I'm not, I'm not going to come and ask questions to everybody. Because I've learned that if I ask a question to somebody, ask somebody to do something, they do it out of obligation and then they're trapped in it forever. I want somebody to have a passion for it enough to say, Pastor, I, I love to cook and I want to take over the food ministry. I want to bless people after surgeries. Pastor, I love little kids and, and I know we need a rainbow teacher on Wednesday nights and I want to teach those little kids, man. That'd be awesome. That's, that's my dream. That's my dream. Pastor Zach and Amanda are still filling their role in little people's church right now. As I said in the first service, they really need to be freed up from that to do some other things. Man, we need somebody who loves kids and has a passion to tell little kids about Jesus and to do Bible stories and play David and Goliath and and all that kind of stuff with these kids and and pour into them. We need greeters. Say, Pastor, but I'm not a teacher. I'm I'm, I'm not a teacher. I'm not really mature enough spiritually. I'm not comfortable. Listen, we need greeters. You can barely be saved and be a greeter. I mean, our greeters now are barely saved. Yes, Linda, I stuck my tongue out at you. You can work at the coffee station. Danny and Kayla are doing a great job, but man, if they had a rotation, they wouldn't be out there all the time by themselves doing it. Maybe you're a behind-the-scenes person, administrative person, and you can help Tim and Maisie out in the Sunday school office. Maybe you can, you can help us out around here at the church with some other things. If you're a techie person and you like to do media and videos and pictures and stuff, man, let us know. We can give you a ton of work. It doesn't matter what your giftings are. Listen, man, there is a place for you. You say, Pastor, I'm a brand new believer, but I really want to work and serve. Man, the outreach ministry is perfect. Sort clothes with Michelle. Help with the food. Give away food, man. There's lots of stuff. And then the fourth person is this person. I don't want to do anything. I just want to come to church. I got too busy of a life to be too involved. And it's, it's too demanding of my time. I don't know if I want to raise my hand to do anything, Pastor, because I might get too involved and I got too much going on. I'll never forget the day that I took over Rangers. I, I, I was coaching soccer. I was doing other stuff with, uh, with Kevin and, and some things at that time. And, and I, I talked to him about it. I said, if I take this over, that means I'm not doing the other stuff anymore. Can't do both. I said, you okay with that? And he said, sure, Dad. I said, okay. So we changed. 
Folks, yeah, sometimes you've got to cut some things off. It's going to be a sacrifice in some areas. I don't know, but, but, but there is work that can be done. And I'm telling you, and as I'm closing, it's vital to your spiritual development to have a responsibility connected with the body of Christ. It's vitally important. You want to grow in grace? Be here on Sundays. Be connected with a, a discipleship group. Prayer and devotion at least four times a week. Be involved with at least one outreach a year and plug into a ministry. If you don't know what that ministry is, be praying about it and the Lord will lead you to it. Contact me. Shoot me an email. Say, Pastor, I'm looking for something, anything. Help me find what's a good fit. I will apologize. Churches have not done well at making systems, helping plug people in. We are working on it. Sitting in our board meeting last Tuesday, Tim Besecker sat to my right, and we were talking about structures and organization. I showed him where we were at right now, and he says, Brother, what you're doing is not good. He was my Jethro. We know it's We're trying to fix it. But until then, contact us. We want you to work. You are able. We love you. We value you. You are a part of the body. You have needs. God wants to grow you. He wants you to be active. It will transform your life, I promise you. Father.